This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Mike. You know what that sound means. It's time to assemble the weekly news panel. So let's welcome in our panelists, Joita Gupta and Michelle McQuig. Joita is the host of The Pulse on AMI-audio. Michelle McQuig is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Hello, Joita. Good morning, Alex. And hello to you, Michelle. Hello, friends. Okay, so our first topic has to deal with the Auditor General report on the Arrive Can app. Auditor General Karen Hogan found gross mismanagement during the development of the app, and here's what she had to say. So I looked at a lot of contracting that happened uh, during during the pandemic when the public service was act to act quickly um, and um, you know serve the public. Uh, this would probably be the the first example that I've seen where there is such a glaring disregard for some of the most basic and fundamental policies and rules and controls. She pointed to cost overruns and a lack of organization as an example of this. We estimated that it would it cost around fifty nine point five million. There could be amounts there that should not be linked to ArriveCan, but there also could be amounts that that are linked to ArriveCan that were not flagged in the books um, and linked to that project. Public Safety Minister Dominic LeBlanc says that uncertainty during the pandemic played a major role in the issues around ArriveCan. This software was developed during a global pandemic a public health emergency like Canada had not seen in a century. We needed to act quickly to keep Canadians safe and adapt every process accordingly. But we recognize with hindsight that things should have clearly been done differently. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev says the costs and issues around this app development are inexcusable. He's taken 60 million of your tax dollars and given it to a corrupt app, a Rive scam, that doesn't work, that we didn't need, and that went 750 times over budget. The first arrived can uh, contract was initially valued at just $2.35 million. Okay, so let's explore this topic. Uh, and we'll start with you on this one, Joita. Why has this issue taken so long to get to the forefront? I mean, the development was years ago. Yes, and I think um, it's fair to say that it was put together, as you heard in one of the preceding clips, it was put together in a, in a, in a bit of a hurry uh, in response to the pandemic. And right from get-go, there were problems. Uh, many users found the system glitchy. They found the app glitchy. Um, and it, there were some questions about how effective it was actually uh, going to be at the end of the day. There were media reports about privacy concerns. And then the really big one was the, the cost overruns that we, we sort of talked about and how wildly over budget they went with the ArriveCan app. And you heard that in the clip that... Um, it went 
over, you know, it was 200, it was supposed to be valued at about 2.3 million. And then it shot up and was almost close to $60 million. That was the final bill. And when you start to think about why that is, you know, when you start to think about why that might have been the case, uh, there's a number of different factors that come into play, not least of which is that, yes, it was uh, developed during the pandemic and uh, it was, an, you know, an unprecedented and a, a public health situation. But at the same time, it does lead into some larger questions about why it took so long and 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 why things went off the rails to the extent that they did. In November 2022, the opposition parties got together and um, and 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 asked the Auditor General to conduct an audit. And I guess it's taken about 15 months for the audit to wrap up, and that was complicated too because. Uh, there wasn't a lot of documentation. There were a lot of gaps in data. Um, things that should have been noted and documented weren't noted and documented. So you have all of these problems that have come uh, to the forefront with ArriveCan. Um, and what made it even more complicated is that the government contracted out to develop the app. And there are questions about uh, how this company got the contract. But then the company itself turned around and handed it off to various subcontractors, which made any form of accountability even more complicated. So it's no wonder it's taken this long, uh, but there were questions being asked about ArriveCan, I think, pretty much from day one. Well, and and uh, one of the the clips I did not uh, play or include, it, it had Auditor General Hogan talking about, well, yeah, just because there there was an unprecedented pandemic doesn't mean you can just throw you know the basic order or structure of how uh, you know uh, the government should operate and and should uh, kind of proceed with these types of uh, projects just. You can't just throw that out the window because there still has to be the checks and balances, the organization, the record keeping, because that was part of the things you mentioned. It's like, we don't know. Like, there's some things that are tied to this that maybe shouldn't be and maybe some things that should be tied to the budget and, and the costs that aren't uh, in it. So, Michelle, what did you make of the the timeline around everything coming to, to uh, the front? And, you know, what are the ramifications and where we are right now? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I would argue personally that the issues with ArriveCan have always kind of been at the forefront, and it's really now that we're, it's truly coming into focus, the scope of the issues that we've only been hearing about in dribs and drabs up, to, up until now. And I'm kind of with Joita in attributing the biggest delay to the state of the files. Um, Karen Hogan was very explicit about the mess and a half that she found when she dove into those files. There were some records that were not kept at all. The fact that they can't even determine the complete cost of this is very interesting. There were all kinds of, of secondary bizarro things that they could find, though, like online whiskey tastings. Then It raises so many questions about all of this. And... I like it's fairly obvious, I think, to everyone concerned, including the government, that this kind of process went well, well, well beyond Pandemic era scramble, which we're all familiar with to some degree. And the government, in particular, they had a lot of programs they were trying to launch at that time. But this is all on a whole other order of magnitude, and I don't—it's yet another black eye for a government that really, really can't afford it right now. Yeah, absolutely. And so, in terms of. That, that black eye, as you mentioned, Michelle. Juita, what do you think the political fallout is going to be from this? Like, I I, I have a personal uh, uh, feeling that this is going to be one of those issues that's going to continue to linger just based on how long this process has taken so far. And as we move in closer and closer to the next federal election, this is going to be one that's going to keep cycling around and, and be top of mind and a talking point for opposition. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think this one's going to keep cropping up. Um, maybe not, you know, it, it maybe it won't make headlines the way it has uh, last week, in the last week. But certainly, as we look to the next federal election, it is it is going to be something that the opposition is going to point to and say, look how oh, they yeah. mismanaged it. They totally bungled it. Uh, one of the things I do feel I should point out is that although Pierre Polyev has um, indicated that there was, quote-unquote, corruption, uh, the Auditor General mm, yes. did, did not actually find any evidence of mm-hmm. corruption. And I think that's really important to make the distinction. Uh, the uh, Karen Hogan did but... say there was mismanagement. Mm-hmm. I do want to say, though, that the, the, part of this has been referred to the RCMP already. Yes, and exactly. And Pierre Polyev has, has written to the RCMP to demand even further investigation. So that well, those allegations of that, corruptions are going to hover over the whole thing forever, right? Like, Yeah, but unless there's actually an investigation and charges, we, we have to really be mindful about, you know, recognizing that there's just so far just an allegation of corruption. There hasn't actually been yes. corruption. And that, that's an important distinction to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. But it is also key to point out, you know, uh, Pierre Polyev is is trying to pursue it and see if there are uh, further investigation needed beyond just the attorney general. So I'm curious, you know, it's always hard to kind of um, take situations like this because I think we all agree the pandemic, it was unprecedented. How uh, how we had to adapt and how the government was trying to institute something like this during a period of such uncertainty was unlike anything they really had to deal with uh, prior to this. But is the pandemic, you know, does that qualify as a, a blank slate? Okay, well, you know, we had to do the best we can. Sorry, you know, it was, we, were, we were all struggling at this point. Is that enough of a excuse or do do we still need to have more... Uh, kind of um, uh, like criticisms and also a a tougher uh, level or bar to clear when it comes to government programs and things like this. Michelle, I'll start with you. Oh, I mean, I I think everyone agrees. Like I said, even the government themselves are acknowledging that that certain processes were not followed that should have been despite the the urgency of the situation. So there's absolutely, I don't think there's any question at all. And this is a good reminder that it's times of crisis when we need these processes to fall back on the most. Um, So I think this does raise a whole lot of questions. And for those who who have the thought that these are government agencies that are generally apolitical, I would remind that there is a minister responsible for procurement and all these processes and things like sole sourcing contracts fall directly within that purview. So there absolutely is a political aspect to this. And I do, I do think that it's it's fair to hold the government accountable for failures of process, especially in a way during crisis times. Obviously, there's ways to streamline these things and and, and there will be some degree of, of, of scramble and, and things that might fall through cracks in a, in a that very urgent situation like that, but this is really at times like this when processes can offer roadmaps that clearly were not even followed in this case. And Joita, I'll give last word on this topic to you. Well, I think, can you excuse some of the mismanagement on the basis of the pandemic? I think it is charitable and even fair to say that, yes, the pandemic did play, play a big part in it. We know that it was a massive disruption. You can even argue it was an unplanned disruption. Uh, all of that itself raises questions as to why we don't have <laughs> yeah. more robust uh, emergency planning for things like this, right? Like, um, I'm still brought back to something my husband said when the pandemic first 
when the first lockdowns came into effect, you know, March 2020. And I said, gosh, I totally didn't see this one coming. And my husband said, you know what, it's been about 100 years since the last one. So I think we're kind of due for another big pandemic. And I said, good God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, um, it, as it turns out, he was right. Um, but, you know, I'm not saying that that kind of speculation should form the basis of public policy. But there is something to be said for the fact that I think we were perhaps a little less prepared for an event like this than perhaps we could have been. So there are lessons to be learned about how to handle a large-scale public health emergency um, and, and to recognize that maybe we were a little less prepared than we could have been. But I think the other part of this is the fact that uh, it is worth investigating why this was bungled quite as badly as it was. And I think the reason it was bungled was because of um, an ideological bend in government to really uh, lean on public-private public partnerships. So imagine a scenario where you had uh, the app uh, developed in-house and you hired people to, you know, to to um to develop this app and there was some accountability then i guess to the deputy minister who was in charge of procurement what you have right now is this you know musical chairs or this revolving door of people you're not really sure who to be who to hold accountable do you hold a company accountable do you hold its subcontractors accountable and i think there are some hard questions that need to be asked about this allergy that we seem to have about involving government um, because it would have been possible to not only build, you know, develop this on the cheap, uh, according to some of uh, the findings from the Auditor General, the daily per diem to develop this app was about $1,000. But had they done this internally, it would have cost us about $675. Mm -hmm. So that would have been a huge saving right out the gate. But then there would have also been clear lines of accountability and transparency. So I think apart from sort of pointing fingers at the liberals and saying, gosh, you really messed this up. Uh, I think we also have to, as a society, ask some deeper questions about what exactly we're doing when we say that public-private partnerships um, are the way to go forward when we're dealing with projects of this nature. And maybe there is a role to play for, you know, maybe we do need to move away from this conveyor belt that we seem to have, where it's like, you know, people in public office become lobbyists, become, you know, involved with the private sector, and then they go round and round in circles. And as taxpayers, we're the ones paying for this, um, this desire to keep involving the private sector when we may have in this instance been better served, given that this was some developed in the public interest, we might have been better served if the app had been developed in house by the government. Very good. Okay, we will leave this conversation here for now. But coming up after the break, Juwita Gupta and Michelle McQuig will react to a recent incident with Air Canada. The airline was ordered to compensate a BC man after its online chatbot gave inaccurate information about flights. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. <laughs> 